Welcome to the Biden Transition Podcast, the podcast that discusses how President-elect Joe Biden and his team are preparing to tackle some of America's most pressing issues when he takes office on January 20. I'm your host, Danielle McLean. For our debut episode, we invited Alice Miranda Olstein, healthcare reporter for Politico, to dive into one of the largest public health crises in our nation's history. What is Biden's strategy for tackling the coronavirus pandemic? Who will lead those efforts? What challenges will they face? And of course, should Dolly Parton be America's next Elvis? Those questions and more coming up next. A quick update. Since the recording of this interview, Joe Biden, Vice President Mike Pence, and other congressional leaders have since received the vaccine on live television. Welcome to the Biden Transition Podcast. I'm Danielle McLean with our first guest, Allison Miranda Olstein a healthcare reporter with Politico and Political Pro. Thanks so much for joining us, Alice. Sure. It's been a really long year for you as a healthcare reporter covering the pandemic. How are you doing? Well, I think a lot about how lucky I am to be able to work safely from home. I've only had to leave the house for work a couple times, once to go to a White House press conference. That was many, many months ago, and once to go to Wilmington to cover a Biden event. Otherwise, you know, I just am very grateful to be able to stay safe at home and and keep my job, which is not true for a lot of people around the country. But it has been a grind, and this has gone on for longer and been more deadly and horrible than any of us would ever imagine. And that wears on us, obviously, but it also gives us the feeling that we are covering something that's rare and important and, you know, a once in a generation, if not once in a century event. So we're all just trying to do right by our readers and give the kind of critical coverage and hold those in power accountable for all their failures, of which there have been many this year. You're right about the historical significance and gravity of what you're reporting on. I want to get into the challenges ahead for Joe Biden in a second. But have you had time to reflect on everything? Yeah, it's hard to keep a perspective on that just because, you know, it is the grind every day and there's always some new detail you have to jump on. And so it is hard to step back and see the bigger picture. And I think that magazine writers have sort of done a better job at those sort of big step back sweeping pieces, whereas we... Politico are doing a better job hitting every little development and scooping, you know, what's what's coming next. Everybody in the media ecosystem has a role to play here. Well, you're absolutely doing critical work, so thank you. Right now, it really seems like we are at a crossroads here. We're at this very grim moment in American history. We're just starting to see the first rounds of the vaccine being distributed to Americans, but the process of getting it to everyone could take most of the year. Meanwhile, coronavirus deaths and infections are spiking at alarming rates, and it seems like a large number of Americans just distrust the vaccine in general and are refusing to take it. What are the challenges ahead for Americans in the coming months? So I think while polling that shows that a lot of the population either say they do not want to take the vaccine or they're not sure, while that is really concerning, I think people should remember that the first vaccines that are going out right now in trucks, those are only going to healthcare workers. There are only going to be a few tens of millions of people vaccinated initially in the first wave. And those are going to healthcare workers because they are most exposed and we need them the most to care for the rest of us. And so I think that by the time 
average folks have the option to get the vaccine, that's going to be many months down the line, and they'll be able to have seen a bunch of other people get it first, and that could inspire more trust. So that that's something I'm keeping in mind before we all freak out over anti-vaxxers. I know Joe Biden was saying he would take the vaccine live on television. Same with other former presidents. Mm -hmm. What kind of message do you think he's trying to send? And do you think this would help convince Americans that the vaccine is safe? Yeah, I think it's going to be important. I think they're just going to try a lot of different things. I think there are going to be efforts to recruit, you know, celebrities and sports stars and other folks to take the vaccine in a public forum and inspire trust in that way. You know, there's a lot of talk of when Elvis back in the day got the polio shot on television and how influential that was. And so trying to think about who is the Elvis of our times. Um, I personally nominate Dolly Parton, who donated a lot of money to create the vaccine in the first place as the Elvis of our times, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I think that there's going to be a huge information campaign, but I think it's also going to be up to individual physicians to educate their patients. And I think a lot of people trust someone they know telling them like, this is safe, this has been studied, rather than someone they see on TV as well. I think that there's been a lot of damage done to the credibility just because President Trump made a lot of promises about the vaccine this year. And he also publicly berated the FDA over the pace of development and put pressure on them. He really wanted it to come out before the election so that it would help his re-election prospects. And all of that makes people not trust something when there seems to be political motivations rather than just purely medical or scientific. And so I think Biden now in all of his speeches is trying to emphasize that this is safe. This has been studied. There were attempts at political meddling, but they were not successful. And truly, this is a pretty miraculous scientific breakthrough. To put a little more context on the importance of the vaccine, how severe do you think the coronavirus will be through the end of December, January, February, and until this vaccine is distributed more widely? It's really bad right now, and it is only set to get worse in the coming weeks. The way the pandemic works is that even if everyone immediately locked down right now, stop leaving the house, always wear their masks, et cetera, the amount of infections that are still baked in at this point are just so high. They're breaking records. And hospitals in many states are full. <laughs> ICU beds are full. But when I talked about why healthcare workers themselves are the priority, there's a lot of talk about hospital beds, but we can always build more of those. What we can't build more of are more doctors and nurses, especially people with special training for respiratory infections. We can build more ventilators. We can't build more people who know how to use them. And so really protecting our healthcare workforce is top, top priority at this point. So Joe Biden's going to be coming in on January 20th. His team is creating a centralized federal strategy for testing, uh, contact tracing, and building up that medical supply chain. What do we know about his plan and what promises has he made about controlling the virus? For months and months, he's been saying what his approach to the pandemic is going to be and laying out pretty detailed plans. Most recently, he has set out three goals for the first 100 days of his presidency, which are to mandate masks in all spaces that the federal government controls, which includes federal buildings, interstate transportation. And then he's going to pressure governors and mayors in places that don't have mask mandates to implement them. The other goal is to distribute 100 million vaccines in the first 100 days. But what we should remember is that the vaccine requires two doses. So 100 million vaccines is 
just 50 million people. So it's still a pretty small fraction of the population. And the third goal is um, possibly most challenging. It's to reopen the majority of schools within the first 100 days. Schools are closed in a lot of the country because the virus is spiraling out of control. But Biden argues that if we get schools adequate funding to hire more staff so that classrooms can be smaller and more socially distanced, improve ventilation in school buildings, et cetera, that can be done. And of course, schools being closed has hurt parents' ability to go back to work all across the country. I, I know friends of mine who are parents are just struggling so much. So they're really going to uh, lean on this and try to make this happen. Beyond that, yes, like you said, uh, testing and contact tracing, although right now infections are spiraling out of control so much that contact tracing isn't really possible. So the goal is to bring down the level of infections through things like mask mandates and stay-at-home orders, potentially in places where it's really bad. Again, that would be a state and local thing, but Biden will exert pressure in a way that President Trump has not. Also, getting this vaccine out as soon as possible to as many people as possible. Are we at this turning point where no matter what you do, you can only control the virus so much? Should we just rely on the vaccine to solve our issues? So we cannot rely on the vaccine to solve our issues. And and Biden has stressed that in every speech he's given recently. He's stressed that, you know, most people aren't going to get the vaccine for many more months. And so we cannot let our guard down now. We can't stop distancing and wearing masks and such, because look at other countries around the world. They've been able to control the pandemic and get almost all the way back to normal life without the vaccine, just by basic public health, testing, contact tracing, isolating, et cetera. And so it's not impossible. We just haven't had the, the will to do it in our country. And even when you get the vaccine, people still may be required to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Right. Well, first of all, you know, it'll be so long before enough of the population is vaccinated to achieve herd immunity. It'll be well into next year, next spring, next summer at the earliest. But also, it's not yet known if you can still spread the virus once you've been vaccinated, even if you don't get sick yourself. So other than the virus itself, what other obstacles does Biden face in implementing his plan? Well, he has to have his cabinet confirmed by a Senate that might be controlled by Republicans, depending on how things shake out in Georgia in January. There's already a lot of Senate Republicans who have said that they oppose Javier Becerra, the nominee to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services. They are upset because he is in favor of abortion rights and has, as Attorney General of California, brought several cases related to abortion rights and sued the Trump administration over that. They are also upset that he has voiced support for Medicare for All in the past. And they are upset that he doesn't have medical training himself, though many past HHS secretaries have not had medical training themselves. They tend to be governors or heads of companies or heads of big universities because the job requires overseeing a huge bureaucracy. So somebody who is skilled in that department is almost better suited than a physician. Each state I know has different plans on how to tackle the virus. The Trump administration's strategy seems to be just leave it up to the states. Mm -hmm. What are things that the federal government can do surrounding collecting data, testing guidelines, and guidelines for school reopening? The Biden plan includes expanding testing capacity by a lot. Right now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes it can be hard to get a test or hard to get a test in a timely manner because of shortages of supplies. And once you get tested, there's 
a long delay in getting the results back, which kind of destroys the use of it. Because if you are a worker and you get tested and you have to wait more than a week to get your results back, somebody who's living paycheck to paycheck can't do that. They can't isolate while they wait for the results. It kind of loses its value. And so the incoming Biden administration wants to dramatically expand testing capacity to alleviate those shortages and make sure anyone can get tested whenever they want. So that stronger guidelines for states and local governments on everything from, you know, when it's safe to reopen schools to when it's safe to reopen businesses, et cetera. They also plan to use the Defense Production Act to compel companies to make more masks, gloves, hospital gowns, all the things that there have been shortages of, swabs for testing, all kinds of things, just to make sure that that's not happening anymore and that health workers have all of the supplies they need. Would that require more funding from Congress, do you think? So some of this would and some of this wouldn't. The school reopening plan, that would definitely require a lot of funding. And that's been a sticking point in Congress's failed negotiations for months and months to get another coronavirus relief package out as funding for state and local governments has uh, been something that Republicans have opposed. They're still fighting over that. They're still trying to get a bill done by the end of the year. And Biden has said, even if they do manage to pass something, that will only be a down payment and that more will be needed next year. How difficult has it been for federal officials to be able to determine the extent of the virus and how it spreads just based on the differences in the way that the data has been collected? So it's been really hard. So right now, each state has its own dashboard, and some of them lump different kinds of tests together, like antigen tests and PCR tests. Some of them report them separately. Some of them don't report certain kinds of tests at all. And so it is really hard to get an accurate sense of it. Biden has said that part of his plan is creating one national dashboard where you can search your zip code and see the level of the virus in your own community. And that can help people know what precautions to take. So it's, it's absolutely going to be a focus. Let's turn to some of the top officials that Biden has been selecting to run a lot of these departments. I know you mentioned Javier Becerra. California's attorney general to run health and human services. What do we know about Javier? He was a House representative for decades, and he did serve on one of the main committees that controls health policy. So he does have a background in that. He was a big part of the creation of the Affordable Care Act back during the Obama administration. Then he left to become attorney general of California after Kamala Harris vacated that post. And he has been one of the top leaders in the country on the Democratic side of suing the Trump administration. He's brought over 100 different lawsuits against the Trump administration, not just on health care, but on a lot of health care issues. He has led all of the blue states to defend the Affordable Care Act in court. We're still waiting for the outcome of that case. Um, but yeah, he sued on all kinds of things, environmental laws, immigration. He has been really at the forefront of going after the Trump administration, which is another reason Senate Republicans are not fans. They say they want someone at HHS who is not quite as partisan, although past HHS secretaries have themselves been governors or other political figures. So it's, it's not that uncommon. So if we were to assume that Javier Becerra was Biden's most controversial pick and may have the toughest time getting through the Senate, what do we know about Dr. Anthony Fauci and what kind of message is Biden sending by keeping him on as chief medical advisor? I know Trump has attacked Dr. Fauci in the past, and I know he's considered controversial amongst some right wing circles. I think that we should remember 
there's a big disconnect between regular folks out in the country and the people on Capitol Hill. In polling, Dr. Fauci enjoys widespread support across the political spectrum. He has clashed with Trump and Republicans over his public health recommendations, and I think that is part of why Biden is making a big show of keeping him on. Fauci has served in a bunch of different administrations. He is not a partisan figure. He is a career public health official. And so I think in keeping him on, Biden is trying to use his popularity and credibility and have him as this trusted voice for for the tough times ahead. And I know Vivek Murthy, the Mm -hmm. former Surgeon General, is going to be reprising his old role. What do we know about Vivek? Yeah, so that is another person who could face some opposition getting confirmed just because last time he was up for this role, it took more than a year to get him confirmed. And Republicans and some conservative Democrats really rallied against him, mostly because he has called for more gun control and called for considering gun violence a public health issue and addressing it through that lens. Now, I don't know if that would again be a fight this time around, just because one, we're in the middle of a pandemic and there's more of an urgency to getting Biden's team ready to go. And there would be, I think, less tolerance for delays over things like that. But also, some of the conservative Democrats who voted against Murphy last time are not in the Senate anymore, like Heidi Heitkamp. And also the idea of gun violence as a public health issue has gotten much more mainstream since the Obama years. It's something that very big mainstream health groups are talking about. So I would be skeptical of this being a big fight over um, Murthy's confirmation this time around. And then Rochelle Walensky, who's going to be running the CDC, uh, that seemed like somebody that has been a really prominent infectious disease physician over in Boston. What do we know about Rochelle? She kind of breaks Biden's usual tendency of hiring people that he's known for a very long time and has a personal relationship with. She does not have a long personal relationship with Biden. She was just hired purely on merit on her record as an infectious disease specialist. And I've seen the public health community anyway is very excited about her nomination. Wonderful. And then what do we know about Biden's COVID-19 task force? Yeah, so Vivek has been leading that for a few months now. And this is a group of people, we don't know exactly what form it'll take after Biden is in office, but right now they're advising the transition sort of on big picture on the virus. You know, there are people who are going to be deciding the nitty gritty logistics of what the administration does. But this is a group of academics, former government officials, experts who are sort of thinking big picture and providing advice and guidance to the Biden team on how to think about this, how to address it and how to communicate about it. Talk about the makeup of this task force a little bit more. I know we have Rick Bright, who's a former head of vaccine development over at the agency BARDA. Mm -hmm. We have Marcella Nunes-Smith, who is a equity expert over from Yale School of Medicine, former Food and Drug Administration officials, Mm -hmm. former U.S. Surgeon General. What does the makeup say about how Biden is trying to solicit advice? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just modeling what he said in his debates with Trump and in his speeches was that he pledges to listen to the scientists and really drew a contrast on the campaign trail with President Trump, who has contradicted and undermined the scientists, including those who have worked for him. Rick Wright, by the way, uh, was 
forced out of the Trump administration for speaking out against the politicization of the process of developing drugs to address coronavirus. And so I think like hiring Fauci, Biden has made a show of bringing Rick Bright on to sort of signal that his administration will do things differently when it comes to treating scientists. And I think that there's going to be a big focus on letting these scientists be the voices doing the communicating about the pandemic to the American people, because a lot of the country, one, doesn't accept that Joe Biden won the election in the first place and just doesn't trust information when it comes from any politician as much as when it comes from a neutral scientist. And having this team of experts advising the Biden team, what does that do for the psyche of a lot of the medical community? How have they been reacting? They're so thrilled. They've been very demoralized. You know, I've I've had it described to me as like PTSD from the Trump administration and both scientists who work for the government and those outside just feeling completely undermined and under attack. We've seen public health officials threatened, forced out all around the country. There's been a real backlash spurred by conservatives to these public health measures. And I think now there's a fine line to walk between insisting on listening to the science, but also having compassion and saying, look, we know that these stay-at-home orders, these business closures, we know that they're painful. We can try to make them less painful with our economic policy and getting more aid out, but we know this is hard. We understand that we're suffering, but the only way we can beat this is if we, you know, join hands and, and get this done. Alice, I want to thank you so much for your time. I really, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. And thank you so much to all of you for listening to our first ever episode. I'm Danielle McLean. Stay tuned for more Biden Transition Podcast episodes in the coming weeks. For more expert insight into how Team Biden is preparing to tackle America's most pressing issues.